Welcome to Blaze and Access, connecting the community to the disabled world. I'm Blaze Bryant. Facebook.com slash Blaze and Shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows. Same with Twitter and my brand new website. Go check it out. BlazinShows.com. Hope you're doing well as uh, we are here in the last week of January. Joining me is a very good friend of mine, Cliff Perez. He is the vice president of the National Council on Independent Living and the systems advocate at the Independent Living Center of the Hudson Valley. Cliff and I are going to talk about the Joe Biden plan to address issues impacting people with disabilities. Cliff, my friend, always good to talk with you. Thank you so much for giving me a few minutes here. So it was good to talk to you too, Blaze, and thank you very much for asking me to do this. Uh, my pleasure. I really couldn't think of anyone else uh, better to do this. So let's jump right into the plan. There's a lot to get into and 26 minutes to do it. Um, yeah. The What were your general thoughts? We'll start overarching with the plan and then we'll get more specific as we go along. Well, I mean, you know, we've, we've taken a look at what the transition team you know, at the time, it was a transition team of what we're putting together in terms of disability issues. And there was actually a lot of really good things uh, that the Biden plan has put together. And not only have they put some good stuff together, they've already begun the process of hiring some people that we actually know in the disability community for certain positions. Mm. Uh, we, we're very happy about um, because that's really going to really going to change things um, to having people that we know, having people that are involved in independent living and involved with disability issues much more so than before. Um, so that's going to be good. But uh, yeah, overall, um, he had some really good things in his plan and in his in their plan. A lot of uh, things that we have talked about uh, that needed changing things, dealing with Social Security and SSI and stuff like that, that, uh, you know, again, it's just a plan. Uh, we have to we have to do all that we can to help him. And his administration to 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 get that into fruition to to, to you know to get that legislation to be legislation and to be passed hopefully but yes they've got they've got some good they've got a good foundation coming in yeah I mean and is this a a, a one year plan or a four year plan I mean l judging by how comprehensive it is I'm guessing it's an administration or at least a term plan of four years well yeah he needs he, he's got things I mean. They've got certain divisions. They've got certain priorities for the first 100 days, and 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 then they've got a much longer term plan. I think what we were looking at is much more of a administration uh, term plan. Um, so the whole, you know, for the whole four years or whatever plan that that we were looking at. So yeah, it's a combination, as I said, of the short term 100 days that every president tries to try to you know tries to get as much as they as they can at that time. And then the long-term plan. Sure. Let's continue down the road of people that he has hired, people that are well-connected with the disability community and movement. Uh, as you said, look, he's only been in press or he's only been the president for, as of this taping two days. Uh, talk about some of those hirings. We have somebody in our uh, in Nickel who has been our treasure. Her name is Rima McCoy McDee. And some of you might have heard about her. She has gotten some awards from Nickel this year. Uh, she has been very instrumental in uh, 
some policy changes that we're going through to address uh, the issue behind Black Lives Matters and having more equality among um, the members of Nickel and, 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 and at the governing board so we can have more diversity. She's been addressing all of that. She is a person who came in. Oh, I gotta forget the state that she's from, but came in. Uh, it was in the Midwest, I think it was, right? What, what's that? I think, wasn't she in the Midwest? Yeah, someplace out there. I just don't remember. I, I want to say Iowa, but I, not, I don't remember. And I don't want to say publicly and, you know, not have it right. So, right. Totally understand. But, yeah. But but the, the point really is that she came in to take care of an independent living center that wasn't doing too well. And she has done a fabulous job in raising that independent living center so that it's, you know, uh, much more functional. Um, and she so she understands independent living. She is a black woman um, who has a disability, um, and she understands this the, these issues both from the point of view of disability and from the point of view of um, race relations or or you know equity among races. And so, and she she chaired. In fact, she chaired our committee, the committee that we put together. We meaning Nickel National Council on Independent Living put a committee together to address anything that we needed to address regarding um, racial inequality uh, within Nickel, um, and she was co-chairing that committee. So I, I think that she will be a, a, a fabulous addition to the Biden uh, administration, and in particular, I think she's going to be in the administration of uh, either the uh, administration of community living. Uh, uh, that's where she's going to be, and I believe, but I'm not positive, She's going to be working directly with uh, independent with the Independent Living Administration, so it, that's going to be good. There's another woman with the name of Alice Barkoff, I think is how you say her last name. Yes, yep. um, she's also, you know, what I'm talking about. She's been involved with the disability community for a long time, and she's also in the Biden administration, along with another woman named Kings. Her first name is Kings. I think her last name is Floyd, but I'm not positive. But her first name is Kings. She's also in the Biden administration. She's going to be. Um, actually taking care of um, when they hire people in the White House, she's going to be in that personnel division. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah, so really some some high-level people with disabilities that we know are in the Biden plan, you know, in the, in the Biden administration already, um, and perhaps more to come. So it's looking, we think it's looking good. Plenty of reason to be optimistic because this, frankly, is historic. Exactly. It most definitely is. Cliff. He's hired as I mean, as probably most of you know that he's already um, brought in more women um, and women of color as well than any other administration. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's safe to say, because I remember when you and I would have these conversations when we would work together, yeah. that having Kamala Harris was a very smart political and strategic move for him because she's pushed him in the direction he needs to be in. Yes, exactly. I, I think, you know, I think that she was a, a, a great pick. I mean, personally, I would have preferred if it was, if, if it was, um, Tammy Duckworth, Tammy. Thank you. Tammy Duckworth. I, I, I was more for Tammy, sure. um, but, uh, Kamala is, 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 is good too. Yeah, absolutely. Tammy Duckworth, Senator of Illinois, who, uh, acquired her disability as a result of serving in combat. Cliff Perez, National Council on Independent Living Vice President. 
here with me, Blaze Bryant, on the Blaze and Access show. Let's kind of go through the different topic areas that I touched on with you. We'll start with education. Well, David, I don't, I, I don't have all those specifics down yet. I don't know if there's anything in particular. Even, even in our meeting today, I don't remember our chair of, trans, of education mentioning anything in particular um, that he's doing for education. So I cannot, I cannot say anything specific about education. I can tell you that he does have in his plan to get rid of sub minimum wage for employment for people with disabilities. And as you know, this is something that we have been fighting for for a long, long time. And that is something that he does very specifically have in his plan. So that will be a very good thing. Yeah, I know he talked a lot, too, in the education piece of the plan about uh, mainstreaming the classrooms and mainstreaming the technology, the education practices, all that stuff to rid of the equities, inequities. Yes, you're right. I mean, there there is some talk of that. I was just thinking about whether there was anything more specific that that I couldn't think of. But yes, I mean, that's why I said from the beginning that it looks like he has some really good things overall. He's been listening to the disability community, um, and and he is using the right language, such as what you said about integration into schools and helping, you know, and and hopefully we'll address the technology issue because that's a big piece for students in school. Um, so yeah, that's it's it's looking good. Yeah, all right. You touched on it a little bit. We'll go with the other E, and that is employment, getting rid of the sub minimum wage as well as some of the exactly. things that he wants to do with enhancing Social Security. Yes. Um, I, you know, for, for those that are in the inn, you know that when you get, when people are, are eligible to get Social Security Disability Insurance, and Social Security Disability Insurance is the Social Security that you would get if you uh, either acquired a disability or because of your disability, you are unable to work, but you have worked before. So you've, you've worked, You've put in the money into the Social Security system. So that's what SSDI, Social Security Disability Insurance, is about. The, what's, been hap- what's been happening from the very beginning is that, as, as, as some of you may know, when you get older and you get Social Security, you get Medicare. Where you get Medicare when you get Social Security Disability Insurance as well. The problem is that they wait two years after you have been deemed eligible for SSDI, Social Security Disability Insurance, they still wait two years before you get Medicare. You could easily die within those two years um, if you have a disability, depending on what the nature of your disability is. Um, and that's something that I saw in the uh, Biden plan is also looking to change, which I have, I have been advocating for that for years, um, that people should get their Medicare as soon as they get their Social Security Disability. Because when you are eligible for Social Security disability, it already it, it already means that one, you have a disability, and two, that you are unable to work. Otherwise, you wouldn't be getting the Social Security disability. So why should you not get the health insurance of which you wouldn't have any then if you are on Social Security because you're not working? So he's looking to change that. Well, I, I mean, think the other part too. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Exactly. Exactly. All of that, you know. And obviously, he's going to um, take do all that he can to ensure that we don't lose the Affordable Care Act that President Obama worked so hard 
to um, implement. So um, that's another thing. I, I, I think we have a champion on healthcare, um, if nothing else, because he was President Obama's vice president. But it, I, you know, it goes beyond that. Just because of he, him himself, um, will look out for that. So and he's also looking out to, to trying to see about making SSI be more equitable um, in terms of the amount that one gets. And I've heard also that they're looking into having like a gradual de- reduction when you like when you get a job. Normally has been that you know you you'd work for so many months and then they just drop you. Yeah. I think he's looking to have more of a a sliding transition um, so that you're not just dropped when you're working and you, you know you know. So one day you're getting your whatever benefits you're getting, and then one day you're not. So I think that that's that's something that I've heard that he's looking to do. That's so really good. Really yes, exactly. Cliff, having been through that, I yeah. I know, and I can speak to the firsthand financial challenges that can create. Because hey, one month you've got money coming in, the next month it ain't. Exactly. Exactly. So he's looking to try and address that. At least that that has, that has been also part of uh, you know has been addressed in his plan. The other thing, one of the other things that we saw that we we were not too happy about. He talked a lot about um, you know all the issues that have been going on with people in congregate housing, nursing homes, institutions, and so forth, um, and 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 recognizes that the danger that people have been exposed to by living in in these enclosed um, institutional settings, but yet failed to address the issue of home and community-based services, HCB, HCBS, and he had no funding for that. And we've we all know and have tried to make this as clear as possible that the best way to help people, especially during this pandemic, and it's not just this pandemic; it's just the whole idea of people living quality living, having a quality. Uh, life as they get older is to be in their own home, is to be in the community among the people they love, not locked up in some institution, um, which is which is what this country does for most people, which is what this institutional bias that we talk about a lot is all about, meaning that our medic, our healthcare uh, system channels people into these institutional settings without with very, very little choice whatsoever about living in the community. So we are disappointed that, and we're still in talks with them, obviously, but we're disappointed that he, he did not address um, the home and community-based services that is needed to ensure that people then could live in the community, which then also comes along with, you know, ensuring that we have accessible housing. And um, and I know that our folks, our folks, meaning folks from Nickel and our housing subcommittee has met, has been, has met with, with uh, some of the folks from the Biden team. Um, so I know that we're talking about accessible housing, you know, community integration and so forth. But so um, that's all I've, I, that's all I know so far on those issues. Sure. You know, this all goes back to something that I had heard Billy Joel say. He talked about being in Vienna, visiting his father, and he saw this elderly woman, I believe if I'm remembering the story correctly, she was about 80 years old, maybe even a little bit older. And Billy Joel could not believe 
that this woman was sweeping the streets. And he said to his dad, how can this poor old lady is sweeping the streets? And his dad said, because it gives her purpose. She feels like she's contributing to society as opposed to what we do here in the U.S., which is, as you said, locking people up in institutional settings where there's no quality of life. Exactly. That's exactly it. You know, it's funny. When you started saying that story, that's exactly what I was thinking to myself. I was thinking to myself, she's doing this because of the quality of life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it all boils yeah. down to. Uh, exactly. That's exactly it. And that's and, and that has a big part of what we talk about when we talk about community integration and having people in the community be part of the community. And it's even much bigger than just living in the community or living in the community in the way that people think of it. That means meaning that if I say living in the community, you, you just think of it. A lot of times people just think of it in terms of a house you know, living in a house. When I mean living, I mean all of it, shopping, yep. being involved in, in, in your electoral process, in your electoral, you know, uh, anything that's going on with elections, the election process, um, whatever else is happening within your, within your community that deals with strengthening your community and helping your neighbors and so forth. All of that's what I mean by community living, not just in a home, but being a real part of your community, which you do not have if you're in an institution. Absolutely. Now we'll spend the next few minutes on, and in, in you do a lot of advocacy exceptionally well. There is no better person that I know of that is a better transportation advocate than you. Uh, what, what's being done on that front with the Biden plan? Yeah. I wish I could tell you more. I don't know. I mean, I know that uh, th there's talk about doing some infrastructure work uh, because obviously that's been needed for a long, long time. Yep. Um, you know, build up bridges and roads and so forth. And I did think I heard some talk about um, trying to do all that, can, that he can to bolster or, or boost public transportation. As to how that will be, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, obviously that that as you and I know and many other people know, and I think that th this administration stands better than most, that if you're going to do community integration, if you're going to talk about having people in the community, well, transportation is an integral part of that. Otherwise, you're just locked up in your own home and you can't participate in your community in any uh, constructive or objective manner. Right. Uh, you can only do that if you have access to some kind of transportation and Unfortunately, the the transportation really that meets, for the most part, the needs of people with disabilities is public transportation. Since we have not addressed the lack of accessibility within the private uh, the private transportation industry, this country has not done that yet. Uh, it's done in piecemeal, meaning that uh, there are parts in New York City where you can have access to accessible taxis. There's a few places in the capital district that you might be able to get in accessible taxis that we fought very hard to to get up here. Um, but it's here, you know, it's a little bit here and there. Um, there's no federal direction regarding private transportation, with perhaps the exception of, you know, over the road buses, you know, Greyhounds and Trailways, because they were addressed in the American Americans with Disabilities Act. But even that. If anybody knows who travels using Greyhound or Trailways, even that's not 
accessible, even though they're supposed to be, you know, there's also a whole program for that and that's lacking. So maybe that's also something that within this new administration can be uh, readdressed, if you will, and, and ensure, to ensure that, uh, you know, things like Greyhound and Trailways, and obviously as we move forward to the whole Amtrak and train industry to be um, as accessible as possible. Right. It's interesting you bring up the train because that's certainly my preferred way, at least, of getting around where, you know, my girlfriend or someone isn't able to drive me from A to B. Exactly. Well, and I was on a committee on the access board representing Nickel actually a few years ago where we did the whole purpose of this this committee was to plan for the future development of trains to be accessible. Um, So. We we did put a good plan together with the access board. Unfortunately, because it's the future of trains and combined with the fact that trains have a lifespan of about 30 to 40 years, there's very little chance that all these changes we talked about will come around in our lifetime. Mm. That That's how long-term this stuff is, especially for trains. Because obviously, if you know anything about companies and this whole idea of uh, – you know, how, how businesses work, which is to maximize profits. They start hearing about that we're setting up a committee to make their trains more accessible. Then um, they're going to want to get as many trains as possible now so they don't have to worry about this issue until way, way down the road, if you follow my my thinking on this. And, and, I, and I'm sure that that's what the train companies have done, knowing that we've already put this plan together and that in, you know, and in the future, they're going to have to address all these accessibility issues. I'm sure they probably gone out and bought a lot of cars so they don't have to worry about this for a minimum of 30 years. But yes, we've, we've, I've been on this committee and we did, we did try very hard to address the, the future accessibility of all trains in this country. But what is 30 years too late is the fact that there are some train stations in this country that are not accessible. Oh, yes. And that's another whole, because that's different than what we were doing, because we were just dealing with trains themselves. Needless to say, while we were talking about that, the issue of inaccessible train station, I assure you, came up very often. But that wasn't our like that wasn't something we could address because that wasn't our purview. That's not what we were there for. Mm. But we made sure it was mentioned enough. To say to them, well, it's great to have accessible trains, but if you don't have an accessible station, then the accessible train doesn't really matter now, does it? (laughs) So we didn't bring it up in any way that we could. (laughs) Casey Jones, whether or not you, you know, it doesn't matter. Your speed could be zero. You can't watch it. (laughs) Uh, You couldn't resist the musical reference there. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to tell you, although it's not, in Biden's plan per, per se, there are these two laws for voting, HR one and, and S one. Yeah, and and I don't think many people are paying much attention to this, and especially the disability community needs to pay a little attention to this because both of these bills are negative, if you will, towards electronic ballot transmission, if you will. In other words. They are very much against transmitting a ballot electronically. You can get your thing to register to vote electronically. You can get your ballot electronically, but you can't fill it out and vote and then send it electronically. And that's a real problem. This is something we've been fighting for that 
this denies access to a lot of people, clearly a lot of blind people. Um, it isn't like people have access to um, a printing machine, uh, you know, uh, anytime they, they fill out something, especially if it becomes um, available for people to be able to vote on their cell phones like they did in West Virginia. Um, and so if you could do that, you, you're not going to be able to just print that out. Not, not to mention people with dexterity issues, how they're going to be able to print something out, take the paper out, put in envelope and go through all of that. If we, could, if we could vote and send it electronically, that would solve all of that. But both of these bills are against that. There are a lot of security people that are against that. The security people will say something like, they say this, they say, well, would you like, would you, would you like it a system that isn't secure and therefore your vote may not be counted? And my response is, well, but if it's not accessible, it's not a question of whether it may not be counted. If it's not accessible, it won't be counted at all because you won't be able to vote at all. So it's a question of either not being able to vote at all because it's not accessible or the, the, the possibility or probability to be more accurate that maybe your vote could be corrupted. And even if that's the case, we need that evidence in order to work on that to ensure that in the future that doesn't continue to happen. But you can't do that unless you at least try and see what happens and then work with that if you if you follow what I'm saying. Absolutely. And that contradicts studies from, I believe, 2007 suggesting that uh, mail-in ballots are the most fraudulent. Now you've got these security people against the electronic ballots. Well, what is what is what here? Uh, Cliff, exactly. yeah, I've got about yeah. a minute and a half left here. This has flown by. What yeah. else did we, or what else do we need to know? I think also um, we haven't seen um, particularly language on long-term services and supports. Obviously, this is something we need to continuously fight for because if you're going to have people living in the community, you know, you, we all know about personal care attendants and the fact that they need to be looked upon as a respected field of profession, just like nurses. Um, we need to ensure that we have long-term services and support so that when people are living in the community, they have access to these services they need in order for them to remain as independent as possible within the community. Um, so that is something that we definitely need to be on top of and make sure that the Biden administration addresses as well, along with the uh, home and community-based services that I said that he doesn't have funding for in his plan. But these two things go hand in hand and hopefully we'll keep talking and working with them. I can tell you that we just found out that the person who has been nominated to be the secretary of uh, HHS, Health and uh, uh, Human Health. Services. Thank you, that one. Um, <laughs> he actually reached out to us as us, meaning Nickel, to see about uh, if he gets um, not not nominated. What do you, what do you, uh, you know, when the Senate does their thing? They, they, they appoint him. Yeah, yeah, whatever that is, <laughs> that he wants to meet with us on a regular basis, and that's never happened before. So, again, wow. things are looking bright. That's excellent. Cliff, we are out of time, my friend. Thank you so much, Cliff Perez, the vice president of the National Council on Independent Living as well as the systems advocate for the Independent Living Center of the Hudson Valley in Troy, New York. You can find out more about the work the National Council on Independent Living does by going to ncil.org. Cliff, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Always a pleasure to talk with you as well.
Be well now. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Blaze and Access, connecting the community to the disabled world. What do you think? Let me know at facebook.com slash blazinshows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N shows. On Twitter at blazinshows. Or email me at blazinshows at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and at my website, blazinshows.com. To quote the late Christopher Reeve, a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk again next week. On Blaze and Access, I'm Blaze Bryant.